you know, you're wondering what I'm doing just standing here looking at you. I'm not trying to remember what I'm doing this morning. <laughs> Why am I here and who, what are you? Who are you? Sometimes you may not be aware of it, but we are not speaking to crowds. We're speaking to people we know. We're speaking to people we care about, and we're speaking to people we love. We're speaking to people whom God has given us to shepherd, to pray for, minister to. So sometimes I just like to come up and stand and look and see all the faces of those whom I know and wonder, who are the rest of (laughs) y'all? And just make a mental note of all those who ain't here today so we can, or at least I can talk to them next week. (laughs) Sometimes we just are not aware of that. You are our friends. Amen? And we want you to know that. We want you to know how extraordinarily privileged it is for us, especially some of us, to be called by God to share with y'all. Sometimes if I didn't know better, I would have thought the Lord's wisdom really took a dive. (laughs) But I think God's wisdom is also mixed with his humor. Somebody said yes. Who said yes? Watson, you said yes, didn't you? Muriel Watson said yes then. She's burying her head. All right. Well, this morning... We're continuing in a new series which was begun last week to better acquaint us with who God is. And we're becoming acquainted with God by allowing certain biblical men and women to manifest who God is through their lives. Not just looking at the life of a particular person from the Bible and saying, wow, look at that person and look at what he or she is doing and what they accomplished. But in all of that, to look beyond that to see the God who is being manifested and is behind it all, empowering all, making himself manifest through it all. So we are being reintroduced to God Again, I think you said something like there was a Kellogg's commercial. I don't have 38 kids in my house like the Collins do, and so they would be a lot more familiar with Kellogg commercials than I would be. And in doing so, let us turn together once again to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, where the Lord gives Israel the very most important and central command that can be given by God to us. It is the very bedrock, the very issue about God. And I think if there's ever a verse that needs to be remembered, and there are just so many, this would be among those verses to be remembered where it is located or even perhaps to memorize it if the Lord so, so you know, leads you to do that. The Lord is explaining why you are in captivity and what's going on and what has happened. Where have you gone wrong? And we come to verse 23 in chapter 9 of Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, Let the wise man, not the wise man, boast in his wisdom. Israel was doing that, boasting. 
Let not the binding man boast in his might. Israel was boasting. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Israel was boasting in something other than God. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You know, how often have we thought that we really knew a person only to find out that after hearing someone's testimony or looking at the events of others' lives who had a relationship with this particular person, we realized, I knew the person, but I really didn't know that person. Have you ever felt that way before? I knew him or her, but I really didn't know him. I really didn't know her. And I think that's the case with all of us in our relationships. But it's not to be the case with us and God. We may be able to do okay in our relationships, not knowing a lot. But we suffer greatly. And the glory of God suffers when we don't know God in a way that we are to know Him so that our lives yell in every category. This is who God is. And that's what we want to declare this morning. Something of God that needs to be proclaimed loudly. Persistently, consistently in all the earth. Father, we pray this morning that what you have promised you will be faithful to do. And we pray this because you said you would do it, and we pray it because we believe it. And yet, Father, praying it doesn't make you do it. It involves us in the activity of trusting you as you do it. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void. But it will accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing unto which I sent it. Father, may your promise of Isaiah 55:11 this morning be so fully and effectively ministered into every heart. Father, we pray that not a man or a woman or young person who is in this congregation this morning, or even who may be listening by CD next time, that not one is left without a personal impact of knowing you more deeply, more meaningfully, more effectively. Father, we pray this because it's your declared will, expecting and knowing that your Spirit will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to listen to the life of Abraham as we allow this man of God to reintroduce us to God in a particular area that we felt the Holy Spirit wanted us to emphasize. Some of you may remember Abraham. I'm assuming that all of us have heard the name Abraham. Abraham Lincoln. So all of us have heard the name Abraham. But we're talking about the Bible, Abraham. And this great man, Abraham, is, his history is found in Genesis, actually 
toward the end of chapter 11 all the way through to chapter 25. He's one of the most prominent men in scriptures. There are 175 references to this man in the Old Testament and 75 references to him in the New Testament. He's all over the place. He's a significant man. Listen to a little bit of his credentials, and I'm not going to share everything. I'm just going to share four things. But there's a lot more we could share about his credentials, but at least I felt to share these four. He is the father of the Jewish nation. Every practicing Jew knows that he or she is related physically to Abraham. He's the father of this nation of people. In the Bible, he's called the father of all those who believe. If you are this morning a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been saved, if you're a member of the kingdom of God, you are spiritually connected to Abraham. Abraham is called our spiritual father. God is pleased to call Abraham He is my friend. God calls himself the God of Abraham. I wonder how many of us would think that God call you the God of Ray, the God of Mary, the God of Ruth. You know, the God of A.J., the God of Vic. You say, well, that wasn't a good choice. I know that. <laughs> but you're assuming I meant Victor McCullough. I mean, Victor uh, DeJono. I meant Victor McCullough. Yes. <laughs> and, and if we, we thought, well, man, the God of Peter. Well, yes, but... <clears throat> And then finally, as I said, I got ahead of myself, he's also called the friend of God. How many of us this morning really feel that God would call us his friend? Well, I know I'm saved, and this, but you know, a friend of God. What, what an appellation, what a title, a friend of God. You know, I know Mitch Landrew. I talked to him the other morning in the coffee shop. I'm a friend of Mitch Landrew. Wonderful. And, you know, we like to you know, make something of those things. But the friend of God, I think that encapsulates all that God wants to show us about Abraham. He's my friend. Now, what, what's so amazing about this? Well, what is so amazing about this is when we look at Abraham's life and his history, he begins as a pagan. I mean, the guy is, is, is worshiping statues. He's worshiping all kinds of deities out there. He's not a man who began in a religious home, a Christian home or whatever, and always believed in God. The man is an idol worshiper. How could such a man who worshiped idols, how could such a man who was in the midst of pagan Mesopotamia, how could such a man become the friend of God? How does that happen? He would give us one answer. He would give us one answer. And his answer would be, my life is a display of God's faithfulness. He would say, I am a friend of God because of God's faithfulness, because God is faithful. You remember what we read in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24? I am going to practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness upon the earth. And Abraham would say, God is faithful. 
to do what he said he would do. He can be depended upon it to do what he said he would do. You see, my life is a display of God's faithfulness. My story is about God. My story is about God's faithfulness as, as you see it, as you look at my life. And this morning, as I share about myself, I want to make sure that you are more aware of God's faithfulness than you are about me and what I have experienced. So many years ago, so many years ago, we were living in Mesopotamia, and life was good. I had a large family, parents, a wife, cousins, nephews, nieces. The only problem or the only deficiency that I remember in those days was my wife Sarah was barren. We'd been married many years and we had no children. We had no children. And I remember how every month this would weigh on her. <sighs> no child this month. Month after month. Year after year. My poor wife, the only member of the whole tribe, we didn't have any children. How embarrassed she was. And how concerning that was to me because in order for me to have a family of my own, I had to have a son. I remember how many times I prayed and I sacrificed to the gods. How much I promised, how much I tried to do to please them, to placate them, to buy them. Nothing. And then one evening, I was alone. My wife was about 65 years old. I was about 75. And we are fastly approaching the period where if we don't have any children in the next few years, it's impossible. And I remember I'm alone and all of a sudden I see a man. And as I see this man approaching me, I notice that someone I haven't seen before, but there was something about this man's demeanor that was different than all the other people that I knew in my neighborhood. And at first I thought, it's one of the gods. It's one of the gods, and he's coming to tell me we're going to have a son. It's one of the gods who have appeared to me. And I began to become excited and anticipating. And as he approached and as began to speak, I realized this is not one of the gods. This is God. This is God himself. Oh. He 
began to tell me. He says, Abraham, he knew my name. He says, I want you to leave your family. And I want you to take your wife and your immediate possessions. And I want you to leave where you are. And I want you to go into into a land that I will show you. And then he gave me a promise. He says, in you and through your descendants, could it be? I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the entire world through your descendants. Could that mean that we are actually going to have a son? My wife is going to have a son. Is that what that means? I think it has to mean that. So I told Sarah. She had a whole lot of questions, but I just told her, we need to go. Well, who was the man, and what did he look like, and how do you know? All I can say is this. There was something so extraordinary about him. Something that touched me so deeply inside. Something about his words, his promise, his command that rang so true and was so compelling. I, as it were, didn't have a choice. I had to do it. I had to do it. So I packed up the family and took Sarah, took my nephew Lot, took all of our servants and the livestock, and we left Mesopotamia and we went into a land that I'd never been to into a new land. And when we got there, the first place we settled was Bethel, which is near Ai. We pitched our tents, brought all our herds together, and settled down in Bethel. And the first thing I did was to build an altar and to make sacrifice of thanksgiving and worship to this God whose faithfulness in my life I was just beginning to experience as he called me out of worshiping all these other gods who were not gods to have revealed himself even to me. And then something peculiar happened. I'm in the land. We're living according to what I understand is the Lord's direction. I'm worshiping. And then all of a sudden, a famine. Now, you see, in Mesopotamia, that would not have been a problem. But here I'm out here all alone with my family. And all of my relatives and that help that I could have received for them were many miles away, months away. And there's a famine. And I thought, where is the faithfulness of this God who has called me and my family? Where is his faithfulness? Have I missed something? But I knew I had to feed the family. I'm responsible for that. So I took Sarah and we went on down to Egypt and 
as I approached Egypt, I began to become afraid. You know, my wife, God bless her, was a beautiful woman. And I was afraid that when we get to Egypt, because I have heard how this Pharaoh is. He's looking for good-looking women. And I was afraid if, if he sees my wife and he wants her and I'm her husband, he's going to kill me. So I did something terrible. And it still, still weighs on me. I said, sweetheart, I'm going to tell him you're my sister. I, I can't imagine what I was doing. But I was in the grip of so much fear that I wasn't even thinking normally as a husband. She's my sister. And sure enough, the word got back to Pharaoh. There's a good-looking lady in town. And Pharaoh sent his men and took her into his household. And during that period of time where she was being prepared to go into Pharaoh, the Pharaoh was so pleased with my agreement in this, he began to give me money and livestock, and I actually began to grow in wealth in the midst of this lie. how worried I was about my wife, but I couldn't bring myself to tell the truth. I was afraid. But God's faithfulness to his promise to practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness sent plagues on Pharaoh's household and some way, this God of faithfulness communicated to Pharaoh, this is that man's wife. And they called for me to come before Pharaoh, and he was angry. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I'm going to die anyway. And the faithfulness of God not only protected my wife, but he protected me in the midst of a lie that was willing to give up my own wife. God's faithfulness even protected me. And we were put out of Egypt. But more than that, God's faithfulness not only protected my family, but he actually prospered us while we were there, there on the basis of my lies. What kind of a God is this whose goodness is so much greater than my evil? What kind of a God is this that even in the depth of my wickedness, He would be good to me? This faithful one We went back home safely to Bethel. Oh, when I think about it today, so many years later. We went back to Bethel and several years later. No child. I began to worry. I don't know why I just couldn't take God completely at his word. He had demonstrated so much faithfulness, and here I am worrying. Sarah yet isn't pregnant, and the clock is ticking relentlessly. And I'm alone, and in the heart of my heart, so I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking it, Where is God's faithfulness right now?
Was he going to be faithful to give us a son? So I was thinking in my heart, maybe Eleazar, my servant from Damascus, maybe he could be my adopted son and that's the way. And so I'm thinking that. And this man reappears to me in a vision. And it's the Lord again. And he says, no, Eleazar will not be your heir. You will have an heir out of your own body. Now, I'm thinking, (laughs) you better do it quickly. So I'm thinking, finally, the time is here. Finally. And I said, well, how is this going to happen? And I heard the voice say, go outside. Go outside and look. And look at the stars of the sky. Oh. And all of a sudden I realized, oh. What am I thinking? The God who creates all of this is certainly capable to give us a son. So it dawned on me, yes, yes, of course. But what I want you to understand in this is that the faithfulness of God to encourage me even in my doubt when I had experienced already his faithfulness for so many years. He didn't come as the pagan gods would have come to exact a pound of flesh or hurt me or chastise me or tried to destroy me. He came with that steadfast love, that faithfulness of God to apply his goodness and his mercy to a man who needed it in a time of doubt. So now Sarah and I are excited. But the years continue to pass. clock continues to tick. And by now, I'm 86 years old and my wife is 76. And I know how much this had burdened Sarah, you see, because my wife felt that this was her fault. And every week, month, year, she was being pressed down. So I remember the afternoon when she came into the tent and she said, I have a suggestion. Your son shall be from your own body. It's not working with me. Perhaps if you take Hagar, my servant, And have a child by my servant. That would be a son from your body. I didn't think of that. That's the way. That's it. That has to be the way it is. You see, because there is no other possibility. You see, God's faithfulness will be demonstrated in us doing it this way. Of course. And I was relieved. And I was excited because now I will have a son and now I will experience the fulfillment of the blessings of God's promise that through me all the world should be blessed. 
Yes. After the child is born, we called him Ishmael. And I was praying and thanking God for finally completing his promise and giving us my son. And the most amazing and at the time crushing words I have ever heard came to me. No. This is not the way. Ishmael shall not be the son of promise. Oh, my God. (laughs) What does that mean? He said no. I'm thankful to have Ishmael. Wonderful boy. Love this guy. But he's not the promised heir. When I told Sarah, she started, she just broke to pieces. Broke to pieces. Fell apart for days. Nothing would console her. Not only did she not have a child, but now the decision that we made was weighing on her as a detestable thing. Years pass. Thirteen more years. Thirteen years. Sarah is 90 years old. I'm 100. She's too old. And I'm confused. Because I know that God is faithful. He's shown me so much. I've just left so much out of my life. But there's so much more to tell. God's faithfulness is faithfulness. His faithfulness. To be present, to bless, to encourage, to help, to protect, to provide. And yet in this one most important category, but I hung on to hope. I hung on to hope. Maybe there's a way somewhere. sitting in my tent I see three men coming and one of the men is the same man who has been appearing to Get everything ready. Get, bring him in. Bring him in. He's back. This man is back. And as we were eating, I couldn't ask him anything. I just couldn't bring myself to say what's going. And he must have known that I couldn't get it out. What's happening? I couldn't do it. I was hoping, but I was too afraid of the answer. And he says this. This time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. She laughed. 
And he said, I heard that. And because you laughed, you will call his name Isaac, which means the sound of laughter. And every time you say Isaac, you will remember you laughed at my word. But the faithfulness of God, even when my wife laughed in derision and unbelief, did that cause this man to back away and withdraw his promise? It caused him to pursue us even more. I don't understand this God. I worship him. I praise him. But I don't get it. How can God be this way? And sure enough, Isaac is born. Joy upon joy, I have a son of promise. Glory to God. The pinnacle of God's faithfulness has been demonstrated to me. I thought at that moment God's faithfulness could no, be no greaterly, greater dis, displayed in my life. I thought I had seen and experienced the greatest wonder of God's faithfulness when Isaac was born. And I had at that moment. Twenty-five years of faithfulness from this God who approached me when we were practicing idolatry ignorantly. Twenty-five years of faithful, steady, persistent, consistent work application ministry from this God and the greatest thing about it all that in the midst of most of it I was not faithful in my feelings and attitudes and motives I have learned to gain and grow in faithfulness because of his faithfulness but I am so under faithful to this God who would work in such a way for 20 years, 20 years, what a joy it is to see my son and to have him to grow and to have him become a teenager and to work the flocks together and to sit at night together to talk and to share, to sing. I have a son. To know that in this Son, all the promises of God are collected concerning the blessings of all the nations. In this one boy, everything of God's promise is contained in him. Finally, finally. I don't think Sarah has stopped smiling in the last 20 years. Her reproach is finally gone. She can finally walk among her friends and relatives with her head up and be considered not to have the reproach of God upon her. I knew she didn't, but they thought it was because she didn't have the son. What was God doing? He was showing us the power and the grandeur of what he will do when he makes us the objects of his mercy, his faithfulness. I was out tending the flocks. Once again, this man appears to me in a vision. And I thought, wow, what's going to happen now? 
He says, Abraham, here I am. He says, Abraham, take your son, the son whom you love, your only son, Isaac, and take him to the land of Moriah. Because I want you to sacrifice him to me. I didn't hear that right. I want you to sacrifice your son. I remember standing there. knowing that I was as compelled to obey this command as I was every other command. There's no distinction. Knowing that the God who has been faithful to us for 45 years won't cease to be faithful, but Sarah going to say I'm going to kill her son how can the blessings be accomplished the next morning we took a couple of donkeys and put all the provisions on them took one of my servants and Isaac and I started walking to the land of Moriah. Three days' journey. I have never experienced longer days in my life. Every step that I took for three days echoed the question, how? How? Not why. I knew that the Lord was doing right. How? 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 Every step. How? And as we approached Moriah, and as we became, as we came within a day's journey of it, something began to come into my mind that I had never thought of and I have never heard of before. I'm going to give him back to you. I'm going to give him back. I, I, don't, I didn't understand. Didn't have a category for that. When we got to Moriah, we built the altar. Isaac says, where is the lamb for the slaughter? You see, because we did not bring a lamb with us. And I'm sure Isaac is concerned about this all the way, that what is dad doing? We're going to sacrifice, but we don't have a sacrificial animal. And I told him, son, this might be the greatest lesson of your life. God who has been faithful for 45 years will continue to be faithful even in the face of death itself. God himself will provide a lamb. 
So as we left my servant, I told him, the lad and I will go to worship the Lord and make sacrifice. And when I said this, I didn't know how it would work, but I said it, realizing, and I said, we will go and we will return. And as I laid Isaac on the pile there, as Isaac, my son of 20 years, could have knocked me down in a moment and have prevented this in a moment, so submitted to my leading. What a faithful God to work that kind of obedience in my son. And as I took the knife, when I tell you I have never trembled like that before. And I raised it in the air and the sun hit the blade and glistening in my eye and I'm about to bring it down and the voice of that man said again, stop. Do not harm the lad for the sacrifice is in the bushes caught. And I realized all of these years the greatest revelation of God's faithfulness to me was that he is the God of resurrection. The God who will overcome any and every obstacle. No matter what it is, who it is, how it is, when it is, where it is, he is the one whose faithful promise will be kept unto the uttermost. My life is a living demonstration of that. Even to the place of death itself and being brought back to life some kind of a way. I don't know how this will work, but there's something about God that not Even death will overcome the power of his faithful promise to keep it until the end. This morning as we've listened to this story of Abraham, What has Abraham's life told us about God? Well, I hope and I trust that one word among many has come out loudly and clearly. What is it? Let's say it. Our God is faithful. When? All the time. In what circumstance? Every circumstance. See, God is faithful to practice what Jeremiah said he would practice, steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. He is faithful to do this, and he will do it, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is swirling around us, there is something greater than the circumstances and is the presence of the faithfulness of our great God. He is faithful this morning. Faithful. How was he faithful? How did he demonstrate his faithfulness to Abraham? He was faithfulness first to save a man who worshipped idols. Where were we before we were saved? We were worshipping the idols of self and the world and of whatever. But God is faithful to have saved us by the blood of his Son. There is no issue that can prevent God from saving those whom he will save. God will break through any and every obstacle when he's ready to save. Remember his faithfulness to Abraham. 
He was faithful to respond to Abraham's faults and failures with love and with care. Oh, when I look at my own life so filled with faults and failures, and what astounds me still is that even when I purposefully am faulty or failing, God's faithfulness is steady, is constant, it continues, it is persistent. God has never from this old man withdrawn his faithfulness from me because of what I have done. And he's not going to do it. Why? Because he is faithful. God was faithful to protect Abraham and his family from being overcome by sin. They experienced sin, but they weren't overcome by sin. If my life is a testimony at all, it is a testimony to God's overcoming and powerful goodness and faithfulness to not allow my sin to overcome me. I am not here this morning as a man who has not been overcome by sin because of something about me or in me intrinsically, but about the presence and power of a faithful God who says, sin will not overcome you. And thanks be to God that he will do anything and everything in my life to keep sin from overcoming me. He's faithful. He's faithful to provide for Abraham's welfare in every circumstance. In any circumstance, faithful. Faithful to keep his promise to bless Abraham with a son, to keep his promise to bless us. Faithful to return Abraham's son even from the dead, which shows us that God is the God of resurrection. And when he tells us we will live again, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will live again. How do I know that? Because God is faithful. Now, before we close, what is the basis of God's faithfulness to us and to Abraham. Where is it coming from? The cross of Christ. Everything you heard about Abraham and experienced about his life and about the faithfulness of God to this man was the result of the cross of Christ. The result of the Son of God one day going to the cross and paying the full, final, and sufficient price for the sins of Abraham and of every one of God's children so that God's faithfulness would come to us and would be maintained in us and would take us all the way through. It is the gospel that you are seeing in Abraham's life through the faithfulness of God. Listen to this word. Galatians 3.8 And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. <clears throat> Every aspect of God's promise and of God's blessing and of God's purpose and of God's work and of God's mercy and of God's love and of God's justice and of God's righteousness, of God's presence. Everything of God in that episode of Abraham was a declaration of the gospel. Why is God faithful? Because of the gospel. The gospel which says that we all deserve to die because of our sin. But God being rich in mercy because of his love with which he loved us. Ephesians 2.4. Because of that, Jesus has paid the full sufficient price for our sin. So that we, having faith in him and calling out to him to forgive us and to give us eternal life. To reject our sin and embrace him as our savior. We are saved. The gospel. The centrality of the gospel is being featured and displayed and being manifested in the faithfulness of God. You see, God's faithfulness to Abraham and to us is a result of the gospel. The question is this morning, do we understand and know God this way?
And I think the answer to these questions is yes for probably all of us to some extent. Have we allowed any circumstance, any fault or failure, any sin, any relationship, anything or anyone to cause us to either question or doubt that God is faithful to practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness? Have we been wondering, will God continue to be faithful to me, to my family? This morning is our time together to allow God to show himself to us as faithful in every category, in every category as we stand together this morning.